We're going to continue this morning in worship through the word together. It's been a blessing already, as I said, just to be gathered in his name. We're super excited, though, to continue this morning in what God uh, is doing among us. Uh, Over this uh, series, uh, we've called Holy Christmas. It's almost here. Can you believe that? I can't can't believe it myself, man. We're getting so close. But uh, we're talking about this season of waiting uh, for Jesus. Like if you've been around church for a while, you know that some people say, it's Christmas time, it's Christmas time, right? And other people say, not yet, he's not here yet. And it's this holy uh, waiting season for the coming of the Messiah. It's what we sang about this morning in the songs. We say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. It means God with us. Would you come to us? So we wait and we long for the coming of Jesus Christ. But as I like to do, I'm, uh, I wanted to ask a question to start. What would it take uh, for you to get really excited to have someone show up in your life? Like, what would it take for you to just be like, it can't hardly stand it, can't control, like, you're just giddy, you just, you see the, I titled this, he's here, he's here, right? I mean, what would it take in your life for you to get genuinely excited for somebody to show up? We had a little bit of that this morning, right? When people showing up, we didn't expect, wow, they're here, they're here, that's awesome. Unexpected blessing. What would it take? That's what we want to talk about this morning as we continue to wait on Jesus. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we would thank you so much for the fact that you are here. We thank you that you are near. We thank you that we have a chance to know you and that you've, you've revealed yourself to us, mere mortals that we are, that we don't deserve to know you, and yet you, you predispose yourself to us, that you would condescend, that you would come down to be with us in our lives in real ways. And Father, as we draw near to you today, we, we try to open our minds and our hearts to you. We try to just lay ourselves bare because you made us and you know us. And we pray that you would do work, your holy work in our lives today. That the things we need to hear will be heard. The things that we, we need to ignore will be ignored. The things that we need to know will be known. That we might leave changed, not because of stuff, not because of any man-made uh, conventions or but, but because of your holiness, because of your kindness and your goodness to us. May we be listening for you. I pray that you would be our teacher and our instructor, our Lord and our King. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start with a, a book of the Bible you, you may not have, have heard of before, but I want to talk about what would it take for you to be excited. And, and maybe there's a second question. Uh, what would it take for you to be so excited that you would begin to bust out in song. How many of you love musicals? A few, is that it? Yeah, four or five, okay, okay. How many of you can't, just can't deal? Yeah, I know, that's a more, right? <laughs> we were at a gathering last night and someone was trying to advocate for the awesomeness of musicals and there was like people in the room going, no, not so much. You just can't imagine a scenario in your life where we just break out in song, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what would it, well, we're going to read from the book of Zephaniah uh, today. Zephaniah, so it's going to be on page, if I can push one more slide, uh, page 659. If you use one of the Bibles, they should be on your chair row. If they're not, they're in the back. Um, but uh, Zephaniah, page 659, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. And I'm going to turn there with you. This is what's recorded And Zephaniah, written to Jerusalem, let's see here, 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your Lord has taken away 
your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He, he will take great delight in you, and he will quiet you with his love. He, he will rejoice over you with singing. I find this a really interesting passage of Scripture because there's a command to sing. The, the text says, Sing with all your heart. Talking about God. I, we're going to explore that today a little bit. Why would it matter that we would sing with all our heart to God? Um, matter of fact, let's ask a really practical question. Why do we even have music in worship? Why do we come together and sing? I remember one time I was talking to a friend who was a non-believer, and they said, it's like a karaoke bar <laughs> with your church. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. But have you been to a karaoke bar? It's kind of fun. <laughs> sing along. Commands like, won't you join me in singing? Won't you sing with me? We have songs like that. Well, here there's a command written to Israel. Sing with all your heart. Look at what the word says in verse 14. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. I almost think we, we've gotten so pressed down by life, you forget how to rejoice. You, you know where you see this pretty naturally? Children. I mean, I'm going to encourage you as you go through the Christmas season to look at the children around you. I'm amazed how so many adults, you know, were like pressed upon. At best, we're like putting on a smile. We're like, oh, it's, you know. But kids are just like joyful. They're rejoicing, just glad to be together. They know something inherently that we ought to learn. The word says, sing, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice. And if it was just a command to say we had to do it, you'd be like, all right, I want to sing again, you know. But why? And they're very clearly here, there's some... Um, uh, reasons that we ought to be joyful starting in verse 15 why because the lord has taken away your punishment right that's yahweh the creator the one who knows you has removed from you what you rightfully deserve this uh, prophecy was to a, a people who had turned their back on god they had they had been neglecting god they had been ignoring god and the command of sin comes because he has removed your guilt he has removed your punishment that's that's one reason he's taken away your punishment. But look at the second one in the same verse. He has turned back your enemies. You didn't even know it. The enemy is coming after you. And he's thwarted your enemies while you weren't even watching. That's why you should sing. We talked before about how, you know, Israel would sing songs of the great wars and the great warriors. And it was all about them, about people. What about God? What about the work that God has done? He's taken away our punishment. He's turned back our enemies says Yahweh, the king of Israel. Here's the third reason that we should sing and rejoice. Listen to me. Because Yahweh is with us. God is with us. One of the things that I hope overall in your life, I hope if you hear nothing else except that, you know, Jesus died for you, is that you know that God is with you and he's for you. He's not absent in your life. Like some people go, I got to go to church so I get, you know, get this, this again. Listen, in life, in the street, in real places, in hard times, in brokenness, God is with us. And the word says, rejoice. <laughs> Sing songs. Why? Because number three, he's with you. Never again will you fear any harm. He's protecting you in your life. We can praise God for that. And then it says this, on that day. And we're talking about that day, this day of knowing Christ, this day of, of, of 
finding Christ and being complete in Christ. And, and I, I will confess to you, this is a journey experience, right? That, that this day is, is now and is coming, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's this moment with God that we have. But on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Don't let your hands hang limp. <laughs> here it is again. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, is with you. And then here it is. He is mighty to save. You get really discouraged in life. Listen, believe that God is mighty to save, powerful to save. He's not some distant, absent, weak God. He's there in it, right? He will save us. The gospel is a gospel of rescue, right? Of big-armed rescue, not of some weakness of God. He's mighty to save. He has the power to save. He has the ability to save. And then, okay, so we know that stuff maybe, right? This next thing trips me out. I want you to hear it. God will take great delight in you. What? God will take great delight in us on that day. The day we come to know Christ, the day we know him fully, the day we're more intimately known by him, he will delight in us. So many of us have this view of God, and this is why it so blew me away when I read it, is there's this vengeful, angry God, and we just, and it, we should fear the Lord. I'm not saying we shouldn't fear the Lord, because he's God, right? But the word doesn't say he's there, like, scowling at us, like an angry father, like, how could you? This is the God of grace and mercy, the God who loves us, and it says he will delight in us. He's going to say, yeah, that's my boy, or yeah, that's my girl. And I got to tell you, church, a lot of us have a hard time believing that God will delight in us. It's what the word says. Unless you believe that they're being, look, he will quiet you with his love or he will protect you in his love. And look at the last thing. And I'm just going to make, and we're going to move on out of this. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. And you go, well, that kind of sounds like the same thing that was said before. He will take delight in you, right? He will take delight. But delight means he's pleased, like, yeah, I'm pleased with you. But you know what it means to rejoice over you with singing? It means, literally, it means to do a spin. It's crazy to me. God breaks out into a musical. <laughs> Have you seen my children? Woo! And you and I would be like, don't act like that. What are you doing? Listen. God will spin and dance and sing, what, over us. You know, we sang a song this morning that said, you are my song and my righteousness. Did you hear the words we said? That's biblical. He's our song of protection, right? He's the one delighting in us. I couldn't help but get this imagery in my mind that when Israel's following God through the desert, what does it say? He was a fire by night and a cloud of smoke in the day just going up to heaven. This was the experience of God. They would say, there's God delighting, right? He's pleased to be with us. Zephaniah here says that God will rejoice over us with singing. Amazing, amazing to me. I wonder, do you get excited about Jesus coming into your life, right? I mean, do you get excited about the possibilities of what it might look like to truly know and trust Jesus Christ? Or maybe some other questions like, uh, how many, uh, how, how many of you have lost something? Or how many of you have had something taken away from you? Look at verse 19, or 18. The song, the, the sorrows of the appointed feasts I will remove from you, or I will gather you from the appointed feasts. They are a burden and a reproach to you. In verse 19, 
at that time, I'm going to deal with all who oppress you. I'm going to rescue all the lame. I'm going to gather all those who've been scattered. I'm going to give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. Do you see what's being said there? I'm going to give them honor every place in every land that they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I, what, restore your fortunes and listen to the last part before your very eyes. You will see God's restoration. That's the promise. And I know for many, it's like in the middle of it, you go, I can't see restoration right now. But the promise of God is that he is going to do the work and that he will restore our fortunes before our very eyes. I want to point out one verse in here. I will bring you home. That's amazing. That's amazing to me. That at the end of the day, the promise is, I'm going to gather my people to myself. I'm going to bring you home. Does the prospect of being fully engaged with Jesus Christ get you excited enough that you might sing? I'm going to look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. It's going to be to the left if you're flipping in the Bible, page 481. Isaiah 12, talking about that day. Keep saying that day. Matter of fact, in verse 1, it says, in that day you will say, and you go, well, in, in what day? If you look at chapter 11, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And I've got to read verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's this day coming that's being uh, foretold by Isaiah the prophet, that there is one coming. Uh, in verse 10, in that day the root of Jesse will stand, listen, as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. This is all just a setup for Isaiah 12. There's coming a day when righteousness, a righteous banner will be held over the people of God. Now read verse 2 with me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord. It said it twice there in the text. It's Yah Yahweh is my strength and my, what does it say? Song. <laughs> Do you see it? He's my strength and my song. Um, some of your texts might say my defense. Interesting, interesting. Let's read on and we'll come back to that in a moment. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, there it is again, you will say, and we're going to hold on that, what, you're gonna, what we're going to say in that day. There's three things that comes repeatedly to us. What? The first thing is that God is our salvation. That, that's what the text says, that God himself is our salvation. Many of you might ask the question, well, what's unique about Christianity? What does it matter, right? But this is the crux of the Christian message, that it takes God, God's self, to save his people. That there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That all these, he said earlier, these, these rituals have been harmful to you because you think by them you're being saved, but I'm the one that saves. And so the realization of Jesus Christ's coming is that El is salvation, that God himself is salvation. 
That's what the text says. Surely God is my salvation. And by the way, if you notice in verse 1, I skipped it, but I'm not avoiding it. The reason is because he says, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away from me and you have comforted me, right? So this realization that you've been saved by God, and that's what he proclaims in. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. It's the same idea we talked about. Power and my song. He has become my salvation. I want to ask a practical question here for a minute. I don't want to harp on this too much. But what do singing songs of God's glory and praise have to do with our spiritual condition? What do you think? What does getting a little too excited about Christmas carols <laughs> have to do with our spiritual condition? You know what the word says there? It's my strength and my song. And then there's a key word, and it has become my salvation. Yahweh, he has become my salvation. You know, there's a, this idea in the Bible that God rightly expects praise from us. You say, well, why should I share the gospel with people? Because God rightly deserves praise from people. Well, all people? Yeah, all people. <laughs> You mean that one guy, that one girl? Yeah. You mean that potty mouth? Yep. You mean me? Yeah. He rightly deserves praise. And this is this idea that as we praise him and as we uh, confess to him who he is to the point of song, it's spiritual warfare, practical. It might just change your day if you would get out of bed singing praise to the Lord this morning. I'm just saying it might change your day. It might change your day if on your commute you turn the radio up a little louder and sing like a lunatic. It might. It might change your day if you set it in the evening and you let the songs come from your heart to the Lord. It might change your day. The idea of song here isn't just like with our mouths, but that's the instrument that God gave all of us, our mouth, you know that? Everybody's got this guy, ah, right? Is that flat? That sounded flat to me. I'm kidding, I can't hear pitch. <laughs> Listen, that's the one he gave you, but the word says instrumentation, right? God, Yahweh is my instrument and has become my salvation. It's an arsenal in our toolbox of praise. And Isaiah is saying we ought to be engaged in that way. And then third, verse three, with joy, I, this amazes me too, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The word wells can be translated as either fountains or wells as you imagine a well. But this was amazing to me too because that means that salvation is actually a well that we draw from. And notice it's plural, not singular. So it's not like, hey, I got saved that one time. I had that one experience with God. And now I can, I've drank back there. And I drank the water. And I don't have to do it anymore because that time at camp, that time when I was in church, that time when, you know, it happened. But there's this idea that in our life, the wellspring of life will come forward because of salvation. That as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I hope you can hear me this morning, that we are walking through life and we are dying of thirst. And in the moment, the well of salvation, the spring of salvation comes forth and we drink deeply again of our salvation. Because life gets hard. Now listen to me. Wells. You don't put wells right next to each other, do you? You put a well here and down the road. You put a well here and down the road. You put a well here because it's on the journey that you drink our salvation. Not that one time, but this continuous relationship. Look at the, I just wanted you to read it. With great joy or with rejoicing, you will draw from the wells of salvation. That's what's going to happen in your life. Amazing. Look at verse four then. 
in that day you will say, what are we going to say? When we're drinking of the salvation waters, whenever he's our strength and our song, when we know that he's our salvation, we're going to say this, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. That means proclaim him. You're going to say that to people. Proclaim the Lord. Look at verse 5. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to the entire world. Who's, who are you talking to there? Other people. You're going to sing to the Lord. He's done amazing things. And then look at verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. Why? Because great is the Holy One of Israel. Where? Among you. Among us. Great is the God among us in our lives. Great is the one who's walking with us. So what? We ought to shout about that. We ought to sing for joy, the word says. This is the season of waiting. And this is what Isaiah said is going to happen. Isaiah's like, it's coming. It's coming. The righteous one is coming. There's a time coming when God's going to gather his people to himself. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. You remember last week, uh, John the Baptist was preaching, make a wide path for the Lord in your life. And I talked to you about three things. He said uh, he was preaching a baptism. It's a water baptism for the repentance uh, for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. And so this idea that we're going to turn away from our sinful things and we're going to be baptized um, for forgiveness. This is before Jesus gets on the scene. He's born at this point, by the way, but he's not been made known. So we're going to pick up right at the end of those three, these three principles, baptism, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? And I, I've got to say, confessionally, I always read this, and I'm like, wow, what a way to engage a crowd, right? <laughs> you bunch of snakes. <laughs> Who told you to repent? I want to remind you that John is in the desert here. He's not in established religious centers, right? He's out in the weeds. He's preaching about the coming Messiah. And when people show up, look at what it says. I want you to see the word. John said to the crowds, what? Who were coming out to be baptized. <laughs> so you will go, John, these people are doing the right thing, you know? You brood of vipers. What is he saying there? He's talking about being people of insurrection or being um, uh, people who are against God. That's what it, it literally means. Um, it means children of blasphemers. John's a little offended that blasphemers are showing up. And unless we pick on religious folks, it says crowds. It's the multitude who've come out that he's addressing. And he says, you brood of vipers are you children of of deceit you children of blaspheming then he gives them a command he says who warned you to flee produce fruit in keeping with repentance remember he said repentance is required and so he's like you need to not only repent and say i'm not going to do it but you need to produce some fruit in your life that is in keeping with repentance and then he says this don't begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father because i tell you that out of these stones god can raise up children from abraham one last verse, and we'll talk about it. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, harsh. That's harsh. But what's he saying? This line here, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You know what he says? You know what he's saying there? Don't begin to think you're righteous enough. Don't begin to think you're righteous enough. 
He's talking to the crowds that are coming out. Don't begin to believe the lie that you are, are good enough. Don't even begin to say it. Don't begin to claim some heritage of faith, something that you inherited that you don't have to own with God himself. Don't begin to believe it because the axe is already at the root. The axe is already at the root. There's a scary thing that comes with Jesus. Many, many people have this attitude about it. I'm just going to be honest with you. They say, I wonder if I should accept Jesus. Now, you know I mean? We stand above him and we just wonder, I wonder if he's good enough for me. I wonder if I'm going to give my life to him. And, and, and we stand back and we wonder if we should accept Jesus. Should we? Uh, I'll think about it. Jesus, you've got to be really good. You've got to do some things for me. It's terrifying that we wonder if we should accept Jesus instead of this, instead of being, instead of being in wonder that he accepts us. <laughs> I hope you get it. It's not like he's just there for you to pick up and put down. It's God on the cross for us. It's a wonder that he accepts us. Who are we to stand back and think, oh, well, he'd be lucky to have me. Don't begin to say to yourselves, I have Abraham as my father. Who do you think you are? See, that's the bad news of salvation. That's the bad news. The axe is already at the root, and every tree that doesn't produce fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what's being said here by John. Look at what happens in verse 10 then. So you got John in the desert, and he's saying these hard things to people. Look at the response from the people. Well, what should we do then? Like, what should we do? John's engagement elicits an automatic response. It's a terrifying concept. It's not about you accepting God. It's about God accepting you. Well, well what should we do? And, and John goes through the three groups of people, and he addresses very specific things. We're going to talk about them. But I want to say this first, that the reality of Jesus in your life changes things. And I'm not talking to you as someone who stands outside of it, above it, and all that stuff. I'm in it with you. The reality of Jesus in my life changes things for me. And it makes me ask the question, well, what should I do then? What does that mean? John answers very specifically three things. Verse 11, John answered to the crowd. See in verse 10, who asked first? What should we do, the crowd says. It's the multitude. It's the brood of vipers. This is John's answer. The person with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the person who has food should do the same. He says, share your stuff. That's what you should do. Crowd, you want to get ready? Share your stuff. This is the command. There's a literal thing with the tunics. If you, if you, if you have two of something and, a, and a, someone else needs one you, you, or have none, you give them one of your things. That's half your stuff, right? But then he says the same with food. I'm reminded of uh, the, the season of giving, and we have a, a, a ministry in Highland called Haxon, the Highland Area Christian Service Ministry, right? And we run the food pantry here. But it's literally to make sure that no one goes hungry. You got extra food? Give some to the food pantry. You got extra food? Give it to the neighbor who's out of work. You can help somebody out. What should we do? Because Jesus is in our life. Share your stuff. It's the first thing he says to everybody. He says, share your stuff. Look at this then. Teacher, what should we do? Ask the tax collectors who came to be baptized. <laughs> I love that. Tax collectors came to be baptized. What should we do? Verse 13. Do not collect any more than you are required to. Notice a couple things. He doesn't say quit your job. But he says, don't take advantage of people. There was this reality that back in the day, tax collectors would skim a little off the top, right? So if you owed the government 30%, they'd take 33% or 35% and they'd pocket the five. They were taken off the till, you know? He says, stop it. What is he saying? Do fair business. Don't take any more, tax collectors. 
By the way, one thing I want to say with tax collectors is they were serving the, the, uh, the oppressive, oppressive regime, right? They were serving the government that was over them, not, not um, Israel. They were taking things from the people of God and giving it to a foreign country. He says, doesn't say stop. He says, don't take any more than you have to take, tax collectors. That's the second thing. And the third, look at verse 14. Some soldiers came and asked, well, then what should we do? Third group. He replied, do not extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I got to admit, I was confused by that. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? How many soldiers extort money or how many uh, soldiers, uh, um, what does it say, bear false witness to people or, or, or um, let's see, accuse people falsely, right? How many people do that? Here's the thing. It means if you're walking around with a gun in your hip, don't take advantage of that, right? And they didn't have a gun on their hip. I get it, right? But they were soldiers. They're warriors. And they could threaten people. They could intimidate people. They could take advantage of people. And they could make that serve them, yeah? A couple of things I'm amazed by in this, in this passage of Scripture that where, where John's saying, get ready, get ready, Jesus is coming, is notice that the groups ask the same questions, but they have different obligations back. There's some uniqueness about where God's placed you in your life. This is a little bit of a convoluted point, but I'll make it. God's not going to ask the same thing of every person, but he's going to ask something of everyone, right? It's unique to each people group what you're called to do. But I want to, I want to say this. Basically, here's what's being said. It's, um, let me find it. Subjugate your power. It's just fancy words. It means the things that God's giving you control over, control them in a way that honors God, right? Whatever opportunity God's given you, use the opportunity in a way that honors God. We talked this morning about parenting, right? Use your parenting skills in a way that honors God. You know, you have a job to do. Use the job you do in a way that honors God. Subjugate your power or your authority to the Lord. That's basically what's being said. Whether you're sharing your stuff, who, who does stuff come from? It's from God, right? Don't collect what is required. Subjugate your power unto the Lord. Or don't extort or accuse people. Subjugate your power. But notice this too. John in the desert is drawing crowds of people. He's drawing tax collectors, and he's drawing soldiers. And it's funny because this is what you hear all the time about Jesus' own ministry later. He draws crowds, tax collectors, and the word is sinners, right? There's no end of scandal about the people that Jesus draws to his ministry. We have these same people, and John drew them to the desert to find out what's going on. Well, reading on here, they're, they're, they're convicted by this, and they can tell he has some authority. It says this in verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly. See, there it is, Advent. And were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. That's the Messiah. Are you the one? John answered all of them. I baptize you with water. Now, here's the point. But one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's one coming after me who's more powerful. What the word says is that the mighty one is coming after me. That's what John's confession is. The one who is able is coming after me. And he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I always read that before as like the Holy Spirit's going to be baptized, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But there's two different purposes. You can see it right there. The Holy Spirit is the, is the winnowing fork that's going to gather the wheat into the barn, right? Isn't that what it says? In verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the, the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burnt up. So there's like a, a 
the two things happening at once, right? The Holy Spirit's bringing salvation, and the fire is bringing destruction. That's what's happening. There's one who's coming who is powerful to do these things, and he will bring up the chaff, the unusable things with unquenchable fire. You cannot put it out. And then, lest we think that's a discouragement, he says in verse 18, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. Get ready. Get ready for God in your life. Get ready for Jesus. My, my last question, are you ready for Christ in your life? I don't mean this like little playground Jesus, this little safe Jesus, this one that doesn't ask things of you, doesn't get in the dark places, doesn't wor- root around your life and change things, but the one who's in your business, the one who cares about you so much he won't leave you alone. Are you ready for that kind of engagement in your life? Are you ready for Christ, the Messiah? Are you ready for that kind of encounter in your life? Have you taken Jesus seriously? Or are you sitting there going, I don't know if he's worth my time. It's a terrifying prospect. I'm going to read one final passage, but as I do, I'm going to ask if we can have someone. We're going to have communion in a moment. I'm going to ask if we can have someone uh, get the children from Blast, if you would, somebody would do that for us. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians while they do that. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We're going to let the children come back in. That's fine. They're going to be a little, it'll be noisy. It's fine. They come back in. We're down with that. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here's the word to the church in in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. If you look at the second half of verse 5, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. If you hear nothing else, I hope you heard that today. He's intimately involved with us. He's in those really hard places. I wonder, do you know that the Lord is near? Do you know that every day of your life? Um, One thing I uh, appreciated was looking at Isaiah and it says, the Lord is my sal- or God is my salvation. The Lord has become my salvation. The word salvation is Yeshua. That's where we get to name Joshua and Jesus, that he is salvation. Do you know he's near? We're going to have a couple of uh, our leaders uh, go and grab a communion for us, if you would, if I get a couple of our. I want to explain what we're doing and why we do it. <clears throat> See, we believe at Family Bible that these moments are instructive, Right? That the Lord is near. Come on down to the front if you would, Dale. That'd be awesome. The, uh, the word says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it and he gave it to each person there and he said, take and eat all of you. This is my body that's broken for you. That God is near. In the same way it says he took a cup and he gave thanks for it and he said, this cup is a new promise made to you in my blood I want you to think about that. He's sitting in the room like you and I are sitting in this room right now, right? He's not, there's no hyper-spiritual application here. He's like, this cup is my blood, and it's a new promise made for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he said this, and every time you receive this cup, every time you taste it, remember me. We're in the season of Advent. Paul goes on to say this, because every time you eat this bread, and every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Are you ready for intimacy with God? This morning we have very simple elements. We have crackers, we have grapes. And you go, it's just crackers and grapes. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it's the Lord. He's near. He's near. You can receive him if you would choose to. This isn't our table. He provides it for us. We didn't make this up. We do it because he commanded it. Commanded us to do it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy, for the invitation to your table, the thoughts that you would rejoice over us or sing songs of glory in the spiritual wars, almost too much to imagine. And yet we recognize that in the coming of your son Jesus and in the provision you made in Christ, we've been invited to your table to taste and see, to eat, to know, to be intimately involved with you in our lives. I pray, Father, that all of us are ready for that kind of intimacy. No joke. May we not take you lightly, but may we receive you eagerly. As you lead, Father, as you lead, may we know you more intimately in this time of communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.